This podcast series is brought to you from the University of Winchester. We invite you to listen in as we talk with both academics and practitioners about their approaches to peace building and conflict transformation, discussing some of the most complex and pressing challenges we face in the world today. Welcome to our feature International Women's Day podcast episode for March 2021 where we are shedding a spotlight on female bridge builders. My name is Rebecca Bellamy and I'm joined by Dr. Margaret Luck-Bowen. Over the past few weeks, we've met with five women bridge builders who are actively bringing together people with points of difference. Their stories highlight the importance of breaking from our echo chambers and how even unlikely friendships may have the possibility to develop. We'd like to share some clips from our conversations with them taken from standalone episodes that will also be published in the coming weeks. We begin with an introduction to our first two guests from two different projects. One of us is Aslam Sekic, who is a former member of the Danish parliament. Uh, she is now uh, an author and a public speaker, and she's also the founder of Centre for Dialogue Coffee, which basically means dialogue coffee. So it's a centre that focuses on ideas around dialogue. Uh, and the other one is Amra Panzo, who is a uh, local peace builder from Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, she is the founder of an organization called Small Steps in Sarajevo. I, I get so many hate mails. Uh, I have had hundreds of uh, encounters and and basically I sit down for coffee with people who written the most terrible things to me and try to understand why they hate people like me. Um, when they even don't know me. And I have been doing this the last 12 years. So, so why do you think that dialogue is, is, why did you choose to use dialogue as a way of communicating with other people? Uh, because it is the key in the democracy. It is the DNA. You can't, you can't talking about a strong democracy without dialogue. Uh, because in the democracy, uh, we have all freedom to believe what we believe, you know, because in a democracy, you have this freedom to have your own opinion. For example, I don't want that we, we can all vote for one party. That is not democracy. The democracy is that you have this different parties, different opinions and you can tolerate differences without resorting to violence. When I visit these people, I could see that maybe not the first time, but it was so clearly that I was such a racist because I demonized them too. And I have so many prejudices too. And it was a shock for me because uh, um, it was difficult to accept that I was not on was not only good. I could be bad too. Actually, when the war started, I was twenty-two years old, a girl, and I I I, w- I would never expect, of course, like I think nobody uh, besides those one who planned to the, to have the war. I think that that contemporary people are never ready for such a situation. 
and of course I was shocked and I spent the four years in the siege and after that I've decided to devote my life to reconciliation and to anti-war anti actions and that never happened again. And one of the, my important goals was to work on healing uh, my society, the society I'm living in. And um, I, have, I have used all possible ways uh, which I've learned to do so. Um, I have worked for these 20 years with many, many different groups, of course. Uh, it is always the same ethnic group which had a conflict like Serbs, Croats and Bosniaks. And uh, that, that's, but besides that, I have worked uh, also on Kosovo because we have a very similar uh, conflict, let's say like that, with Albanian and Serbian people. Um, I was invited once upon a time to work in Ukraine, so I have small experience over there. And I have worked uh, also in uh, with people from Afghanistan, I'm mostly using uh, interfaith dialogue as a tool for peace building. Uh, I'm trying to take the, 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 the values, motives and even kind of some, some uh, tools and methodologies from the sacred texts and from the stories uh, which are actually religious stories and I'm trying to use it in my peace building work. Uh, me personally, I'm, I'm Muslim and uh, mostly I, I root my work in Islam. But actually here in Bosnia, as you know, we are very much mixtured in our identity. So uh, uh, Christianity and Judaism is very close to me. It's also part of my identity and I'm also using uh, uh, as much as I know uh, source and with my partners, especially who are Christians and Jews, the resource of their religion uh, 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 for peace building. So we would uh, uh, try to, to uh, uh, first speak about uh, God in sense of that what we own to the society, to other human beings, uh, what are actually the tasks in our religions to be as a human being. And then we would conclude uh, slowly that it's actually the same in each religion. And, and as you know that in Bosnia-Herzegovina, each of these group has different religions. So that's... Uh, uh, something what is complicated. So Croats are Catholics and, and Serbs are Orthodox Christians and we Bosniaks are Muslims. So uh, religion was very much misused, but in the same time, it was sometimes uh, 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 really something w what divided people. We have to admit that. So I felt strongly that I would like to use religion and all sources from religion actually to, to, to have people to be together, to understand that they are connected that they have the, the very similar values that they owe to the, the, the society and to the other human beings um, exactly like it is written in their sacred book. So it means the same in Islam and Christianity and Judaism. And that based on that, that they relate to each other. They've both been through actually really quite traumatic experiences. And they've both, uh, in the face of that, decided to actually dedicate their lives to improving the situation for others, which is really incredible. I found uh, Islam Sekic's story really, really inspiring. And I think it's amazing how she has turned something, uh, such a negative experience into something positive and constructive. Uh, I think that is really admirable and also taken a lot of courage for her to get in touch with people who have sent her hate mails. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly brave. And I think it's commendable that she sees this in the context of actually what is needed for a more tolerant society and that it's all part of living in a democracy. Yeah, and I'm sure she's a good role model for for many people, for many young people with political aspirations as well in Denmark, because she was the first Muslim woman to to become a member of our parliament. Um, and I think the way that she has reacted to the negativity around that uh, has been really admirable. So I hope she's inspiring other uh, women from all different backgrounds to to join politics. Yeah. And then Amra Panzo. Also, uh, her story echoes personal journey in a similar way to uh, Oslam. Uh, but she grew up with kind of external conflicts in her inner city, how she also has turned her experiences into a kind of a lifelong uh, mission to bring about peace in her communities. And that's also um, quite a powerful story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, the, the context is quite different, isn't it? Because Sarajevo and, and Bosnia and Herzegovina went through an awful war uh, a couple of decades ago uh, with uh, devastating, very devastating circumstances for, for all involved, really. So obviously, the divisions in that community are uh, a lot deeper than they are in Denmark. But I agree that it is, is interesting to see how they have both turned something negative that happened to them personally um, into something much more positive and trying to make life better for for the younger generations especially so the next clips we're going to share with you are also from Oslam and Amra and uh, we asked them to reflect on what the challenges are in their work we're first going to hear from Oslam followed by Amra for, for many people it's very provocating uh, because a lot of people say we should ignore them, we should forbidden the opinions, we shouldn't talk with them, meet with them. But how can we change the very anti-democratic opinions without talking with people? You can't make uh, peace with your friends. You have to talk with your enemies. So that is my biggest uh, challenge convince the others how important dialogue is well I'm living in country where mm, genocide happened and uh, when you come to the Muslim people who actually uh, went through the genocide and tell them uh, let's reconcile with others they ask you why are you coming to us you know you should go to them because they attacked us and then working on the hardest job for me was to work on preparation of, of Muslim people on that the day the day forgiveness do not depend on how other side behave you know that they actually work on day healing on the process healing process and on forgiveness without thinking on the other side that, that, that it becomes uh, internal uh, grow and that they, that they actually accept that uh, um, whatever happened with these other people who were violators or who, who did whatever, that the, 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 their, their task is to go out from the rule of victim and to take their life in their hands now. 
think the dialogue is really particularly uh, powerful in this in these situations where we are really trying to um, interact with people that we really highly disagree with. Because the idea about dialogue is very much that we try to understand each other, we try to understand each other point each other's point of view, and we try not to judge each other as well. So it's not it's not about convincing other people about our own point of view or being convinced by other people. It is really just about listening to each other and trying to understand where each other are coming from. And I think that is particularly a particular powerful tool if you do meet up with people or when you do encounter people that you know that you are highly going to disagree with um, and that you perhaps don't even personally like. There's some deeper underlying issues here about how we communicate with each other because I do think we are quite, in many ways, taught from a very young age that, that um, discussions is the way forward, that debates is the way forward, that whenever you talk to people who you disagree with, you have to try and convince them about your own state, about your own opinions. Yeah, when people have been prepared to have real dialogue, they often do discover something of themselves. Well, if we go on to Amra, I think her, her the challenges that she talks about are really quite different. So she's talking about the internal process of, of personal reconciliation, uh, and that's been quite important for their well-being. I'm helping them to move on in their lives, quite distinct from an external reconciliation process. I definitely think that the powerful thing about the internal reconciliation process is that this is something that you yourself can control. This is something that you yourself have power of and you're not depending on anybody else's contribution to that. So even if other people might not be willing or able to to reconcile with you, you can reconcile with yourself. Uh, You can reconcile with what has happened to you. We'd like to share two further projects. Uh, The first is called Touchstone, which is sponsored by the Methodist Church and which is based in the city of Bradford in the UK and represented here by Jenny and Shamim, who work for Touchstone. And they're creating spaces of encounter for women of different faiths in their city. Following on from this, you'll hear from Anna Yelm. Uh, who is representing uh, the World of Neighbours, which is an international project founded by the Swedish Church um, that try to foster exchanges of and cooperation between practitioners of different faiths and from different countries who are all working or volunteering to help welcome and integrate refugees. And we bring together women from different faiths and cultures in various creative ways. Uh, The idea is then that they listen to each other, they learn from each other, they increase in their understanding of one another, really that they form deep friendships um, so that we can make our community a more peaceful, equal and just place to live. 9-11 really changed um, how the world perceived and saw Muslims and as a very visible Muslim woman I wear the hijab although at the time of 9-11 I wasn't wearing the hijab but the colour of my skin indicated a certain ethnicity uh, and faith you're always whenever you're approached I think sometimes people are very curious about you and the way you are um, and, and and they're just naturally curious but I think sometimes there's a sense of fear as well and that's from what they've seen in the media and and you know it can be quite a political as well so I think the challenges that we we do face are bringing uh, sort of communities together and I don't think that's necessarily because people are unwilling sometimes it's it's the area that you're trying to target uh, it might just belong to say South Asian or, or, or Muslim area and I think 
those are the main challenges that we would try and face because there's not that very many opportunities to bring people from different backgrounds together and obviously we do that but sometimes the challenge is trying to to get into a particular area uh, uh, to, to bring women women together yeah so you can find in um in our city that people like exactly as Shamim have described can live alongside each other rather than living kind of together so you can um, you know, perhaps go to a nursery, a primary school, a secondary school without really meeting people from different faith communities. So like Shamim said, there aren't many spaces where you can do that and, and Touchstone is one of them. Although I think one of the things uh, we'd like to say is that people often see talking about faith as a challenge and one they want to avoid because they think of it as something that can divide people. Whereas we find actually that talking about faith can be a really positive thing and something that unites us. And that doesn't mean we ignore our differences and just say that we're all the same, but it means that we celebrate what we have in common. So for example, all our faiths have values of um, loving your neighbor, of justice, of mercy and of peace. Um, and it's on focusing on those. And then we do talk about our differences and like around the theology of our faith, for example, but we can respectfully discuss them um, and learn to live well with each other in spite of those differences. It is a conscious choice to work with women. Um, we often find that the world of interfaith happens at a very civic and faith leader level that's there's a real need for that work so i'm not knocking that work in any way but what you find is that that tends to be very male because when people go to the civic leaders and the faith leaders they tend to be male um so you you find this sort of world of interfaith that that is still very um very male dominated and we living in our community have really come to see and believe that it's often women that are actually the real change makers and the real peacemakers who have influence in their community and so we wanted to to gather together those women and to um to empower them really to say to them we are the change makers we are the peacemakers it doesn't just have to be about interfaith at a civic faith leader level we can make a real difference on the ground too Well, Welcome Neighbours is a programme initiated by the Church of Sweden and actually by the Archbishop of the Church of Sweden. And it, it comes from the period when in 2015 and 2016, an, a large group of people came to Sweden and arrived in Sweden as part of the, of the big movement of people and seeking refuge in, in Europe during those years. And in Sweden, the Church of Sweden got heavily involved in this. And what happened was that over the, those years, more around 80% of the congregations all over the country were involved in some kind of work with refugees and, and migrants. So in welcoming and helping to resettle in language cafes and in just uh, giving some sort of guidance and welcoming to those arriving in Sweden. At the same time, it was quite clear that when we, when Church of Sweden asked its pastors and priests around the country if they were involved in interreligious work in any way, most of them, I think about around 70%, said that no, we are not involved in any interreligious work. And that, of course, 
made no sense from looking at it from the outside, since most of those that arrived in Sweden were not Christians and, and absolutely not Lutherans. So from that kind of that understanding that well, everyone more or less are involved with new people arriving, and still there is no kind of thinking around how this affects all of us in meeting with people of other religions. From that stem this this idea from the, the Archbishop that we need to strengthen the work that is being done by faith-based organizations and related organizations that work with people on the move, that work with refugees and migrants and with the interreligious encounters that comes from that. And quite soon the Archbishop also kind of pointed out that we cannot do this alone in Sweden because this period affected all of Europe, of course, and, and refugees and migrants were received and welcomed and sometimes in conflict in, in all areas of Europe. So that's why the program is focused on the welcoming side of the migration, um, the, the topic of migration, but the welcoming side in all countries of Europe at the moment. some of the of the work that practitioners do with welcoming and together with refugees and migrants is of course challenged we see it in in some parts of central europe where welcoming is not uh, accepted or or uh, looked well upon by by state actors and we see also the resistance in more in the northern europe and the western parts of europe in more of a a growing yeah, polarization, if you want, or, or resistance towards uh, refugees and migrants from the political sphere, making life very difficult for those working on behalf of refugees and migrants in Europe. So we seek to strengthen those practitioners and to put them in contact with each other, because as we see it, there is a, a major force or a major power in knowing that you're not alone, that there are others like you working in other parts of Europe on the same topic and on the same vision to be a, a humane, humane and welcoming Europe. It changed a lot for a place like Bradford, you know, the community. Like I still remember when I lived there, for example, and there were, I didn't live there through the 2001 attacks, but I were, I were there when the 2005 attacks happened in, um, in London. And I still remember like meeting my Muslim neighbors and they were apologizing for what had happened. and. It was just quite bizarre, really thinking that they felt the need to apologize because it was a bit like, you know, it's got nothing to do with you. What, why are you sort of thinking you need to apologize for that? You like the idea of um, doing quite small group creative projects together and it being women only. Um, and I can see the value in having those spaces. They go on to talk about their sort of social action projects and that they've done quite a lot to also raise money for uh, different causes in particular Syria and uh, they're not just a kind of passive uh, dialogue group they take action together which is quite inspiring. Yeah and I'm sure a lot of I mean even though they didn't sort of directly mention I'm sure a lot of that is also directly related to their faith and ideas around charity and I think it's really interesting to know uh, how these two different projects really have very much the same aim to start building bridges between different communities and how they have both really responded to things that have happened in their local community as well. Uh, Shamim and Jenny very much focusing on the divisions between different 
parts of Bradford um, and how different community groups uh, don't really interact much with each other and they're really trying to build bridges between uh, especially women from these groups. Um, and Anna uh, from A World of Neighbours, uh, representing an organisation that very much focuses on the same, on many of the same issues, building bridges between different communities. In their case, it's about building bridges between the refugees and migrants that have arrived uh, to many European communities. Um, what all these four projects definitely have in common is that they have reacted to something, a negative experience, either in their personal life, really, or in the community that they are now working with. And they're trying to turn it into something positive. They're trying to address some of the issues that they see uh, in their communities. And they're really trying to build bridges between different parts of that community. So we asked all of our guests if they would share with us one or two memorable moments that they found rewarding in their work. And we can tell you that we had some really great stories, but you will need to listen to their standalone podcast to hear all of them. As we wanted to keep this feature podcast short, we thought we would share just one story told by Oslem Sikic. And uh, we chose this clip because Oslem tells her story as she records it through her own eyes, and that made quite an impression on us. And I glanced over the wall and uh, by the sink where, where a number of kitchen knives were hanging. So I started counting them, one, two, three, four, there were 17 in total. So I was frightened and I decided to say it out loud. And I said, Kim, I'm frightened. Should I be? I asked him. And I could see that my question had shocked him. And he said, no, I would never dream of harming you. But I was also frightened before you arrived, he said. And I asked him, why? I thought you would bring all your Muslim cousins with you and smash up my house, he said. <laughs> you know, it's a big tragic because Kim and I were the same age. We, had, we hadn't met each other before. We both spoke the same language and considered Denmark to be our country. We were sitting opposite each other, but we were afraid of each other. You know, we are not born with such feelings, but still we are afraid of each other. And I have been talking to Kim for several years now. Uh, now we decided to have a, have a lunch again, <laughs> but I, I messaged him yesterday. There are so many trenches between us, but bridges have also been built. For example, when my mother got cancer, he was the first to call to wish her a long life. So it will always be talking with children and young people because they are the next genera generation. They are the hope and learn them to tolerate the differences without using violence. Because if you want to prevent hate and violence, we have to talk with so many people as possible, so long as possible while being so open as possible. I think what really touched me about her story was this friendship that had grown between them um, despite the fact that they disagreed and may continue to disagree on many levels that they still have been able to develop quite a meaningful friendship. Yes I agree and I think that's really where the dialogue comes in handy because it's not about 
agreeing on issues. It's just about listening to each other and appreciating the, 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 all the other things that you do have in common. Mm-hmm.